Welcome to Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi, a passionate and relentless pursuit of exploring how individuals use good judgment in everyday life, both in their personal and professional lives. Bianni Zwani is my guest today for this new episode of Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi. Bianni is the founder and cheerful engagement orchestrator of Breakthrough Development, a management consulting firm providing managerial and leadership development services. We are both children of the Black Management Forum. You can read more about the BMF at your own leisure. I have known Bianni for about 24 years. We met through a diversity group that we had established with like-minded individuals from both public and private sector companies that shared an ideal of transforming workplaces of the new South Africa to embody the values of our constitution and to embrace employment equity without sabotaging its intent. How it turned out well, that's another story for another time. Buyani, thank you so much for having time for this conversation today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. So I know you grew up around somewhere around Kosi Bay. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. tell me a bit about your upbringing. Do you have siblings? What did you do with your pastime? Well, Kosi Bay is pretty much what people get to know about. But I come from Umhlabia Lingan. Oh gosh, Umhlabia Lingan. That's where I originate from. Yeah. yeah. And the specific place is called Guamashungul. I grew up in a space where I just had cattle all around, we had goats, so I was goat heading, um, fishing in the ponds, and of course fishing in the Joyela in Kosebeya. What is it's that? A, it, it's a fish crawl uh-huh. that's been there for well over 200 years now. It's one sustainable way of fishing, oh. wherein the crawl is put together. Uh, and it's passed on generation to generation. Still to generation. there? Still there. Hmm. Okay, I didn't know that. You've got to be able to check it out. So if yeah. you flow, follow anything on UNESCO, you'll get that. Okay, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so you are a boarding school child like me. Mm-hmm. How do you think that experience shaped the person you are today? Well, for one, I was in a boarding school that was not very far from home, but it was necessary for me to be there because the we were getting started as a high school. Star of the Sea was being turned into a high school. And they wanted to be able to have young people who would actually have been raised up in a particular manner um, to the mission school. Um, And that in itself shaped much of who I ended up becoming. I got to be in the boarding school when my father died. So it was at the time when I was a a half orphan in a sense. What mission did it have a religion? Or was it Catholic? Yeah, or? to the Catholic Mission School, yeah. Are all mission schools Catholic? No. There are a whole lot of Anglican okay, ones yeah. and Methodist ones too, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's why I was wondering. <laughs> uh, so you're the founder and chief executive. No, you're actually the chief... Cheerful of, engagement of cheerful, Australia. Yeah, yeah, which is an interesting term in itself, of breakthrough development. What does your company do? Our organization is established primarily to be able to help individuals and leaders in particular to do better in shaping 
their organizations and themselves. So we really exist more to help in terms of establishing leadership development, strategy development, and team effectiveness. Mm. And you've just been facilitating a strategy session just now? Exactly. And how yeah. did that go? It went very well. It went very well. It's an entity that was recently purchased over by a South African group from Australians. Um, and that transition is a very critical one for them because they needing to be able to instill more of the South African culture uh, and at an ownership level, which is pretty special. Mm -hmm. mm. Now, and I've known you for a long time, so I'll be interested in this answer. <coughs> so what do you think your unique value proposition is? Uh, what makes you memorable and impactful? I established the Enterprise Breakthrough Development primarily because after spending time looking after other people's brands, people would actually come through to me and say, you've helped me to realize my own breakthrough. So in a sense, I've had the opportunity of helping people to discover the better part of themselves. And through my engagement at business school and my own enterprise, we've begun to appreciate that more and more people are becoming better as a result of our input to them. But about you? To a large extent, I think what I offer is a listening ear. Many a time, strategists and leadership development people would be more prescriptive, and I choose to be more of a person who listens to what it is that people are really looking for and needing to be able to get into and probe further to a point where I help them to discover what they did not realize they actually needed. Mm. And I'm sure you're not including me in that strategist that don't listen <laughs> and I'm prescriptive. But anyway, moving well, I've, on. I've, 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 no, I've had clients who have actually communicated that yeah. very fact that for yeah. the first time someone has actually listened to me and gotten to know what it is that I'm looking for. Yeah, because yeah. most people come with off-the-shelf solutions, which... You know, we're not interested. Well, <laughs> leadership partnerships yeah. doesn't do that. I know that. Oh, yeah. What is the one decision you wish you have you had never made in your life, and why? I think delaying my pursuit of tertiary academic um, education. I spent a lot of time accumulating money as a working person mm. and did not want to be able to go into doing my masters I know. when I needed to. <laughs> that MBA journey was like yeah. pulling teeth. It yeah, was. It was. Why? Um, I think why I get to be able to regret it right now. No, but why was it? Because I know you. it was like... <laughs> um, to a large extent, I got a feeling... I can still do this thing without the paper. Mm -hmm. So you will notice that when you check my credentials, you will not see MBA, even though everybody who has an MBA will tell you they have one. Mm -hmm. So I want to be able to make my contribution tell its story yeah. than what's written in the Yeah, it was a hard one, that one. Jeez. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you seem always um, full of energy mm -hmm. to interact with people. You always seem to be on the road all the time. Yep. How do you fill your cup? Largely, I take time off on a Sunday, um, 
while everybody may be going to places of worship, I will do that, but I will take time to be able to go to a nature place. Botanical gardens tend to be the places that I can go to and just watch nature. Hmm. And when I see the stream and water flow, I mean, that has something in me because as you would appreciate, no river drinks its own water. So when I observe that, it just tells me there is more I can still give to others as I replenish in those times. Too. Hmm. We've never been invited to go to the botanical gardens to watch the river flowing. <laughs> <laughs> but... Let's go to Walter Sassoula's beautiful. Yeah, actually, it's a beautiful place and I hardly ever go there, which is sad. It's absolutely yeah. beautiful, stunning, actually. So you were very unfortunate uh, not to have a close relationship with your father. Mm -hmm. um, what impact do you think that has had in the man you have become? I have sought all the more to be as close as possible to my children. Um, and that has been something that uh, for a long time, in fact, until I was about 45, mm. I was still not too sure about who I really am. Mm. Because there were things about my dad that I never really got to be able to know why he did what he did, when, why he passed on the way he did. Um, because it was tragic the way in which he passed. So he was out fixing somebody's home and fell off the ladder, broke his, his spine, and that was it. Yeah. And not even have an opportunity to say goodbye, because it's just I, like that. I wasn't able to. Yeah. I wasn't able to. And, and the sad thing, and I remember when he was buried, I did not even cry. Mm. You know, so it took me a couple of years to be able to process that and eventually get to a point of acknowledging he ain't there, he's gone. That's painful, my yeah. friend. So childhood trauma, as you know, if not healed, can be triggered and show up in destructive ways in adults. Working in the leadership space, what wisdom can you share to assist leaders to introspect and to be aware of how their past is holding them hostage in the present and also sometimes how it's resulting in un unhealthy workplaces, especially in terms of the cultures that they help create or even in the political arena? What advice do you have? In my space, what I've come to appreciate largely is that we want to hold back and keep our stories with ourselves and never share them. Our ability to be vulnerable to someone else and tell the story to someone else helps us to process. And therefore, I would encourage as much as possible to be able to open up and share stories with others. When we don't do that, Indeed, we'll find that there will be a slight thing that somebody says and it brings back those sad memories or those traumatic memories and they get an unnecessary outburst leveled at them when they have no idea what it is that's going on. I would truly encourage a opening up to somebody who is very much a friend who is able to observe the shifts that are taking place in you but also to find somebody that you have lots of respect for. I mean, in my situation, I know for a fact when I engage with my uncle who happens to be in Port Shepston, I'm able to download quite a lot of stuff with him and he just listens. He just listens. Not necessarily to give me solutions, but just to listen. And that helps a great deal for me. 
And I have found that the more I'm able to talk through some of my traumatic experiences, I get to find people who are willing to help me with solutions. In a leadership space, when there are those that have not been shared whatsoever, you again would find a situation where we're in a boardroom and we're, or we're in an exco meeting and something that is said by somebody unsuspecting ends up becoming a big issue unnecessarily. Yeah. So, and if at all possible, inside organizations, have a space where people can actually go and talk to someone. Yeah. You know? But a lot of um, organizations have wellness programs. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They do. So it's about whether you use that service or not. But also to do with where they are located. Because many a time you find that the most senior people get to be, they are uncomfortable telling their story to somebody who a wellness person in all likelihood would be junior to them. Mm. And they would be uncomfortable telling their story there. So creating platforms and places where people can actually go without the stigma of you are now undergoing something with wellness or there's something wrong with you. Or else you become well mm. and you just like, um, which is sad. I mean, I understood what triggered it. Um, so there was a time when you ran Franklin Covey Center in South Africa and worked very closely with Stephen Arkavi doing human and personal effectiveness work. Why do you think not many South Africans, especially Africans who are thought leaders and experts in the leadership space, have not gone to other parts of the globe and become world-renowned? What, what's holding us back? And you know how tough I was on you with that and saying <laughs> you have to find your own space. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Well, think about it. Franklin Covey, when I had the opportunity of leading it, had 14 countries in Southern Africa and Indian Oceans. So there was quite a huge reach that I was carrying with the brand. And what we've begun to, what we've come to appreciate is that there are a number of people who are thought leaders. Dr. Royal Causa is one such. And he has just recently been inducted into the 50, uh, top 50 thinker, thinkers in the world, and which is a great thing to be able to have. But what we're tending to notice is that people are rather more open to Western writers than they are to African writers. And many a time, even in our writing, we incorporate a lot more of the West than we do of Africa. Um, thankfully, there are a number of countries that are opening up to alternative perspectives to just the West. So you begin to find that Timbuktu is becoming something of importance. There's a lot that is being sought after around Ethiopia and the Nubia and all of those. And those are beginning to bring us to start researching about African leadership and leadership for Africa, out of Africa, into the world. And as more and more people begin to tell stories that align to, among others, what Madiba was doing in his presidency, um, it, and, and what Grasa Marshall has been doing in the Council of Elders, you begin to find people are getting to be interested in stories that come out of Africa. Paul Kagame's stories have also been utilized quite extensively, but again, he's a politician. Mm. And we get to hear more of leadership from a political space than we do from a business space. Yeah. 
But also, I mean, we are a different generation, hmm. and some of our leadership thought processes are slightly different in experiences. Certainly. So we can't always go to the traditional historical way of looking at African leadership. No. We need to evolve. Well, we are operating in, in an environment wherein information is from virtually everywhere. I mean, Google presented themselves as being able to organize global information for greatest of ease, as it were. So it, it is easier to be able to gather information in, in that way. But what we are needing to be able to have are people who, from the continent, are keen to tell the story of an Africa before colonialism and talk to what it was like and then bring it into the current context. Look at the, look at the parallels in there or contrast that. You may find that there will be interest. Because, hmm. I mean, you think of principle-centered uh, leadership. Yeah. You didn't have to go into the classics. It's stoic. What, it's stoic? Stoic, yeah. 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 But there's a thing that comes in here to do. Most of our uh, wisdom is passed on orally. Mm -hmm. It's not captured in writing. And therefore, we're ending up with a lot more orientation from what is written from a Western perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So it's for all of us to write, people, all of us to write. What's the most courageous decision you've taken as a human being so far, and what drove you to that decision? Well, actually, it was with probing from, among others, yourself, to quit the brand I was in charge of to be able to establish myself. Um, and then to go through for a whole year <laughs> with very few customers um, and seeking to be able to establish so what, what is Breakthrough? Why should people hang out with Breakthrough instead of the Franklin Covey brand that I was part of? Um, it was easy for me to be able to get into any platform and use the name of Stephen L. Covey. Yeah. But there was a necessity to be able to talk to things that are indigenous that I could be able to relate largely coming through from a village setting that I'd grown up in. Yeah. People do undermine the value of corporate brands and how those open doors, regardless of who the individuals in those brands are, sure. which for us who become entrepreneurs, having to build our own corporate brands and knocking how difficult it is, regardless of the individuals we are, so mm. the expertise sometimes is seen as secondary. It is seen as secondary because there is less appreciation of it. Um, but when, when the brand is established, the whole lot of people will then rally around it and be excited to be associated with mm. the brand. Yeah. But we all have to start somewhere. And that mm. was my thing, that mm. we, we, we have to sacrifice short term so that in the long term, long there's term. a generation that can be inspired by us. Mm. So what's your Achilles heel? And how do you prevent it from adversely impacting other aspects of your life that make you successful? Not so long ago, I had an opportunity to do a personality assessment. And one of the things that kept showing up was the over-accommodation that I do. Really? Um, it, you needed a test to do that. <laughs> yeah. It, it is the thing that I've, I've, I've come to really appreciate that I do so much for virtually everybody mm -hmm. that I've got no time for me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so even when I do my Sunday, you know, rendezvous out in the uh, in 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 the uh, botanical mm-hmm. gardens and such likes, I still find that I orient myself around. So when I come from here, who am I going to be yeah. with? Uh, who am I going to be assisting, supporting, and all of that? Obviously, what that has done is that it has delayed much of my personal progress mm-hmm. and at times also interfered with the growth of the Breakthrough Development Company. Yeah. Mm. I find that very frustrating in you. You do know that. Because I just think, golly, conscious, you need to just have time for yourself and focus. Because mm-hmm. I just, you deplete my energy just being on the road. And I'm not <laughs> even on the road with you. But anyway. Sure. So talk to me about the significance of a common vision for economic and social development of a country. And what is the impact of a na- on a nation when you have political figures pulling in different directions? Well, take ourselves just a dozen years ago. In 2009, as we were leading ourselves towards the hosting of the World Cup, virtually everybody in the political space, in the sporting space, in the business space was aligned to ensuring we gave the best spectacle the world had ever seen on African soil. That got everybody so connected that we went beyond, above and beyond what we had always been doing. That is an example of what can be when we are united. Indeed, when you think through pre-1994, we were very clear about what it was that we were working towards because we were clear what we did not want. Post then, we found situations where we're pulling in such different directions that even the resources that could very well be pulled together for the benefit of the country, for the benefit of a company, for the benefit of community, aren't available. You begin to find situations where business is intervening in spaces where government is supposed to be. Government that is supposed to be closer to where the people are at, understanding the issues that the people are dealing with, is not. Now, that in itself indicates the fact that we have not gotten a unified rallying call for the country, for the economy, and indeed at a, at, a, at, a, at a social level. What would be of benefit, obviously, is when we are able to articulate the one thing that would be able to get business to rally around with politics, rally around education in particular, because whoever it is that we're training, whoever it is that's going through our schooling system, university system, needs to be able to come out and be a contributor to the economy. We calculate the economically active population, but there's a whole lot of people who have been economically inactive as a population. Mm. How do you bring those people together to go towards a common vision? I mean, among others, what is needed is to be able to find the thing that most people, it may not never be all of them, but most people will find resonance with. So for argument's sake, much in the country has been around the sporting world. And it still it seems to be that when we're finding the rearing of the head of discrimination, unfair discrimination, it becomes the thing that people want to be able to obliterate to do our with. So you, we could actually be able to say in these days of diversity, inclusion, and uh, belonging, 
we are able to do this well as the thing that makes us a nation. Mm. When we have something that calls us as a nation, that's like, like I mean, Kagame has been able to successfully pull away from Tutsi, Hutu, to we are Rwandans. And Mwalemo Yerere was able to get everyone in Tanzania to not even contemplate themselves as being any tribe, any 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 clan, as it were, see themselves as we Tanzanians. We need to be able to get something of that nature. Yeah, South Africans. Yeah. Which, uh, I mean, even with this series that I do, mm. I still have people saying, oh, I only watch if it's women, or I only watch if it's this kind of person or that kind mm. of race, which is unfortunate. The whole idea is wisdom can be gained from anybody. And as South Africans, I must be able to, whether white, black, whatever, when I hear Busani, feel proud and learn from that person and not have them reflect my race in order for them to be of use yeah. to me kind of thing. But anyway, it's a conversation for another time. What keeps you awake at night and is of grave concern to you as a human being? When I see the youth that continue to get certificates that they cannot even employ, they cannot even use, a continuous rise in unemployed graduates. That really mm. keeps me um, yeah, awake at night. I happen to have some children, my own children, who have gone through and graduated. And when I think about what it is that they're going to be doing next, the one who is still uh, finishing off her studies, I need to be able to, I, I feel like there's got to be something that is done to channel the youth energies towards building the country. Mm. And we're not getting that. We give the 350s and we think that we're actually making a difference when in fact we're not. And the 350s for those that do not know are? Well, I mean, what we're giving is a grant that came through as in a way of trying to address the issues around COVID-19 because not much was taking place then. So on a monthly basis, you'll find young people who should really be getting employment uh, queuing up at the post office to be able to collect that. And of course, the idea was to be able to kind of give a boost to the economy and people are buying and as long yeah. as there they is trading, things are going to improve. But that really is not helping anyone. Yeah. Yeah. What can you do with 350? But anyway. Second thing that really give, gives me sleepless nights, incidentally happens on the streets, on, on the intersections of our, of our streets. You get into our traffic lights and you'll find that people that are begging. I know for a fact, again, back to 2010, we had none of that. And it wasn't because the streets were cleaned up. Somehow people were occupied with something and people took care of others as well. But we're seeing a growth in the number of intersections that have got someone on each one of the four uh, intersection points. Begging. Uh, begging. And it's from across the continent, eh? It they're is. Not, they're not the all South Africans, which is so yeah. unfortunate. Yeah. 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 What's the best advice you've ever received? What did it say and from whom? It was from you to go and study. <laughs> the MBA, that was like pulling teeth. Uh, I'm glad you did it, though. So the doctorate is next? Yeah, okay. the doctorate is next. Yeah. Which leader, alive or dead, who is South African, mm -hmm. 
most inspired you? What qualities do they embody that are attractive to you? And what impact do they make in the business environment? One that really strikes me is about to retire as the group CEO of Ultron Group, um, Tetsonyati. He took a company that was established a year after he was born, and in the last five years has grown the company and transformed it to a point where it truly is a darling of the JSE. During uh, Earlier in the week, he was presenting the results, the final set of results, and what came out of it was how out of his connectedness and his humility and willingness to be able to let others lead, he was able to turn the organization around to where people feel like they are co-owners. Yeah, unleash the talent. He, he did, uh, and he continues to do that. And the beauty about it also is that he is paying attention to groupings that would not ordinarily be afforded uh, much of the light in, in the boardroom. His women representation is one of the best in the country. Um, even people with disabilities, he ensures that his organization is that well represented and provides what is necessary to affirm people in the, in the organization. I found that to be absolutely great. I also found him as somebody who was able to speak truth to power and challenge things that were not happening right. When he noticed that his company was being sought to be able to do things that he was not going to be proud of, he actually stopped the, the, those who were involved in negotiation. Don't go there. Yeah. So values mean something from Teto. And I cherish that. Mm. I know we spout the whole thing of ethical leadership, yeah. but uh, I don't think we really know how to live it sometimes because there are times where it can also be to your own personal disadvantage. It and, can be. And, and you still need to do it because it's the right thing to do. Precisely because it's the right thing to do. Uh, I think we struggle with the issues of ethical leadership primarily because we still confuse it with good and bad mm, and versus right and wrong. Yeah. Um, and uh, indeed, you've, you've said this in previous uh, episodes with the wise people you've invited to, to have conversations in here. But things that people can do when no one is watching, and those are things that need to be carried through, particularly when you're a leader of an organization. Yeah. yeah. We're just about to draw to a close because we can chat all the time. I'm cool. <laughs> um, what legacy do you want to leave in the world? In the establishment of breakthrough development, what I sought to be able to do, as I indicated earlier, to give voice. And if I could be able to uh, be associated with having help people to find their voice and carry forward to their own environments, something that really sets them apart, and they die empty. That, to me, would have been um, the, the legacy I would have loved to be able to leave behind. Mm. Um, I, I am in pursuit of giving the best of, I, of myself 100% virtually every day. And when I can do that, uh, and consistently do that, and help others to be able to do the same thing, I believe we'll have a better country to live in. Mm. This is going to be a bit of a touching question, 
but it's, I, I feel like I need to ask. Um, what is the one thing you will say to your father that you didn't get to say? I would have loved to spend a lot more time with you imparting to me what being a father really is. Um, I've had to learn it by myself. And there were lots of errors that I made in the process. I looked up to my mother and she could not really do it for me. I looked up to my uncle and he became more of my elder brother than he was a father. So I've not really had absolute proper role modeling. Father, it would have been good yeah. to be able to have your story. But I suppose that's your life journey, isn't it? Finding it, because I kind of like sometimes think of all of our life journeys and our experiences mm. and say, well, I suppose I'm supposed to be a pioneer in that. I'm not going to sure. have a blueprint because, uh, you know, I'm going through the journey with my mother mm. and no, no sibling or, you know, it's kind of like. Mm. So sometimes those things that are painful in our lives, it's just maybe that's what makes you the way you are, you know. <laughs> It's contributing, clearly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is contributing, yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, I've met at least Moosey, mm. who I love very much, your daughter. Uh, so yeah. you, you've done well. Thank you. Despite it all. Mm. Do you have things that you still want to accomplish in, oh, yeah. on your bucket list? Oh, quite a lot. Um, besides traveling, specifically to, and I would like to do Timbuktu, I would love to be able to do... I always wanted to do Timbuktu. I don't know, it's a female. Our travel experience are not quite the same, though. They're not the same, indeed. Isn't it sad? It's unfortunate, um, and yet provision can be made so that that experience is one that you can come back and tell favorably as well. You know, I would love to be able to do um, travel that is more archaeological, that tells a story of what is not in the books. Yeah. Because I'd like to be able to bring that home as well. That would be interesting. So in closing, what's the wisdom you'd like to share with us and leave us with? Regardless of where we come from, what we do today will play a big part into the better person we can be into the future. When I think through to, again, my story, I realize that I have become a whole lot better by interacting with the people, pre being present with them. And flowing from that, I've been able to build a family that I have a sense that if my dad were to show up again, he would be able to say, I wasn't there, but I brought this through to you. So our circumstances may never be the thing that we use as the reason for not progressing. Um, I got this, and I'm passing it on really, from my engagement with, with, with Kavi, that spoke to the fact that life is 10% what happens to us, and 90% how we respond to what happens to us. Thank you. Thank you for the conversation at last. You're welcome. <laughs> You're most welcome. There we are, folks another wise African. You can appreciate why he's also a sought-after motivational and inspirational speaker. I hope you are inspired by our conversation.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Wisdom Personified Conversations with Durum Somi. Please also like, follow and subscribe to our channel and share the wisdom with your friends. I would love it if you could rate and review as well. Wisdom Personified Conversations with Durum Somi is also available on YouTube, Facebook Watch, Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. Enjoy the wisdom journey.